You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Well, thank you guys so much for being here uh, today. Man, God is already doing huge things here at Charity this morning. Can we just uh, give God some praise real quick for what he's doing through this place? By the way, is it just me or did Fisher roast like at least half the people in this room? Man, what was that about? Bro, let me listen. Yes, you are young, but I'm just going to say you're going to wake up, you're going to blink your eye, and you're going to be like, whoa, I'm 43. I'm just telling you. So that cut deep, bro, cut deep. And another thing is we've got some competition in here this morning. Somewhere up in that roof is a family of birds that sounds like it has uh, made a nest. And um, so I just say we outpraise them this morning. But it reminds me of the scripture that even if we don't give God praise, even the rocks will give him praise and cry out his name. And so we're praising, the birds are praising this morning. God is on the move. You guys have picked a great time to be here today because today we are kicking off a brand new teaching series called Travel Light. And I've always thought that the beginning of a teaching series is a great time to be at church. You can catch it right at the beginning and you can just track with us through the entire series. And we are particularly stoked about this series because um, over the next four weeks, we are gonna look at four different areas of our lives that absolutely can weigh us down. And so we are going to dig into God's word. We are gonna learn practical steps that we can apply to our lives to lighten the load and be able to journey through this thing called life a little bit lighter. And if you're like me, that sounds very appealing. And if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Tommy. I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors here at Charity. And when I was talking to Pastor Marty about this series, and he asked me to kick it off. I was so excited because of what we're gonna talk about today. Just in 11 plus years of ministry, I know that this is one of those messages where I told my wife, I don't have to worry about who I'm talking to in this auditorium today because I don't care where you fall on the faith journey spectrum. Today's message is for you. Today, we are gonna to try to tackle the subject of anxiety. And I've got good news for you. The title of my message today is The Antidote to Anxiety. The good news that we're going to discover today is that we don't have to live a life full of anxiety. That we're going to learn from Scripture that we can live a life anxiety-free, which sounds hard to imagine, but we're going to discover that truth today. And so I just wanted to start by asking a question, and you don't have to raise your hand. But I'm just curious how many in this room wrestle on a regular basis with anxiety. And maybe right now you're thinking, well, I'm not going to raise my hand, but I'm not going to own up to that. But if you asked me if the person I came in here with wrestles with anxiety on a normal basis, cuckoo town, right? Or take it a step farther. On a scale of one to 10, where would you say you fall when it comes to anxiety. One being life is good, you don't have a care in the world. 10 being there are some mornings where it takes every ounce of energy you have just to get out of bed and face the day. Greg says a solid 10. Well, this message is for you, my brother. 
because we're going to learn that we can get out of bed. We can face the world. And so I would imagine in a room this size with this many people that uh, we're all over the spectrum. The reality is all of us have anxious moments in our life. The question is, what do we do in those moments? But one of the reasons I feel confident that even the majority of people in this room would say you fall on the higher end of that spectrum is because anxiety has become the number one mental health issue in America. And here's a scary quote by psychiatrist Robert Lay in his book, Anxiety Free. He says this, that the average high school student or teenager today here in America has the same level of anxiety as the average mental ward patient from the 1950s. That's hard to wrap your mind around. That the average teenager is walking around with the same level of stress that would have put you in a mental institution in the 1950s. And I believe that there are lots of different culprits for that. I think technology, I think that uh, constant connectivity with people, social media plays a big role. I was saying earlier that when I was a kid and you would leave school and you'd look at your friends and say, see you later, that meant that I will see you tomorrow or I will see you on Monday, but we weren't gonna talk again until then. And now there's no escape, there's no relief. It's constant, 24-7, in your face. And I believe it's having devastating results on our society. Now, here's what's interesting. I was just leading up to this message. I was having conversations with lots of different people over the last couple of weeks who struggle with anxiety. And I said, I just want to know what are some of the things that trigger your anxiety? And I began to hear a pattern with people. And maybe you can relate. One that kept popping up was people pleasing. That the idea of having to please people triggers anxiety. Another one is a fear of the unknown or not being in total control of their life. A lot of people said that they have anxiety over health issues, either for themselves or for a loved one. Some people said that they're anxious over relationships, either their current relationship, or they wonder, am I ever even gonna be in a relationship? Lots of our students, college graduates, they just finished school and they were saying, man, they were so anxious over the end of year exams. Did I study hard enough? Am I gonna advance to the next grade? Am I gonna graduate? And a lot of people struggle with and get anxious about what is it that I'm gonna do with the rest of my life and the pressure of having to have everything figured out already. Some in this room might be thinking, man, I came in here feeling good. We just had a great worship set. You just went through that list and now you've triggered me and I'm anxious. It's good. Hang with me. Hang with me a second. But as I was researching for this message, it was very eye-opening to me. I knew there would be lots of information online because it's the number one health issue in America. But what I wasn't expecting was the articles and things that I was finding. Time after time after time, I was finding ways to manage your anxiety, to cope with your anxiety, how to live life with anxiety, but there was no antidote to anxiety. Article after article, publication after publication, it was all how to deal with it and navigate life. Well, friends, we're gonna to discover today that it's possible to live a life anxiety-free, and if that interests you, I just encourage you to lean in 
for the next 20, 25 minutes or so. But here are a couple of suggestions given online on how to manage your anxiety. If you like working out, there's an article, a 15-minute yoga routine to help you battle your anxiety. Eight drug-free ways to battle anxiety was another one. And here was one, six daily hacks to manage your anxiety. So maybe you could just trick it and get by that way. And I do want to give a caveat up front. And I want to recognize that there are people that something physical might be going on in their body. There might be some sort of chemical imbalance happening during a season of life where they need to partner up with a medical professional and have treatment that way as well. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I just want us all to recognize that true peace, the deepest peace and rest and freedom from anxiety is found in Christ. It's found in Christ. Here's the problem. Way too often, I believe that's our last resort. I believe way too often we seek every other option available before we turn to Christ in those moments. Came across a scary quote in a book called High Society. It was written by Joseph Califano, and he writes this, something to think about. He says, chemistry is chasing Christianity as the nation's largest religion. Indeed, millions of Americans who in times of personal crisis and emotional and mental anguish once turned to priests, ministers, and rabbis for keys to heavenly kingdom, now instead go to physicians and psychiatrists who hold the keys to the kingdom of pharmaceutical relief, or they go to drug dealers and liquor stores as chemicals and alcohol replace the confessional as a source of solace and forgiveness. Man, that is so true. Chemistry is chasing Christianity when it comes to this matter as the nation's largest religion. Now, when you break down the word that we're going to examine today, written by Paul in Philippians chapter 4. So if you brought your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. It's an amazing letter that Paul wrote. But the word that he uses for anxious is the same word uh, that he uses and Jesus uses for worried or fearful, anxious. And it is the word in the original language. It's the word merimanal. And it's a fascinating word if you break it down. This word merimanal is two words in the Greek that are put together. And when you realize what it is, it makes perfect sense. The root word is the word meridzo, which means to tear or to separate. The second word in merimanao is naus, which is the mind. And so the word in the original language for anxiety literally is to tear or divide or to separate the mind. And one of the simplest definitions that I saw is anxiety is when we have legitimate thoughts at war with destructive thoughts. And your mind is divided. And we all know what that feels like probably. And Jesus' half-brother, James, tells us what that's like. In James 1.8, he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And if you've ever been in the midst of an anxiety attack or something like that and the weight of the world, it feels very unstable. And I believe that this word picture is a perfect example of what this word 
really is when legitimate thoughts are at war with destructive thoughts. And so for the rest of our time, we're going to camp out in Philippians chapter 4. This is probably the most well-known passage of Scripture as far as dealing with anxiety in your life. Um, Just to give you a little context as to what's going on, this is actually a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to the church in a region known as Philippi. Now, this letter is often referred to as Paul's letter of joy because in this short letter, four chapters, uh, the concept of joy or the word joy is used 16 different times. And often, Paul is referred to as the theologian of grace, and rightfully so. He's the one that says in Ephesians that it is by grace that we are saved, not of our works, so that none of us can boast. But he is equally the theologian of joy. And throughout his writings in the New Testament, time and time and time again, Paul tells us that the Christian life should be marked by joy. And joy is different than happiness. Happiness is dictated by our happenings or our circumstances. Joy comes from the Lord. And so this is often referred to as Paul's letter of joy. And you can tell when you read through this letter, he cared deeply for the people of Philippi. These weren't just a random group of people who called themselves a church. These were his friends. These were people who had been a a huge encouragement to him in his ministry. This is a, a group of people who had supported him financially in his ministry, and the love that he has for the, these people is so evident, and he tells them to be joyful people. Now, here's what's interesting about the context, is when Paul wrote this letter of joy, he wrote it from prison. And so his circumstances, you would think, would allow for a tone totally different than the letter of Philippians. And yet, while in prison, his circumstances are horrible, he writes his letter of joy to his friends in Philippi. And so let's read what Paul says. And in these short six verses, we're going to discover today the antidote to anxiety. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. And so do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace, here's the result, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul's landing the plane to him, and he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, he gives us a list of six things, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. That's what we need to put our mind on. And he says, what you have learned and received in me and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Jesus, we just come to you right now. And Lord, I just ask that as we dig into your word, that you will do what only you can do. God, that today will be a day of freedom for many people in this room. God, people that have been living life in the chains, the bondage of anxiety and fear and worry that they can break free of those chains today. God, I pray that today is a day of salvation for somebody in this room or many. God, where people step from death to life, out of darkness into light, 
God, we can only ask that you do what you do. Speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to work our way through this. Like I said, the answer, the secret sauce is in these six verses, and I love it. Paul starts out this letter of joy, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He repeats himself. It's so important. And you know, growing up, if your parents gave you a command to do something and they repeated themselves, you know that you need to pay attention and and listen to what they're saying. If my parents came up to me and they said, Tommy, clean your room today. Again, I will say, clean your room today. My first thought is, y'all are weird. Why are you talking like that? But I would say they repeated themselves. I better clean my room today, not wait until tomorrow. But Paul is saying that if we call ourselves Christ followers, that we need to be people marked by joy. And again, joy and happiness are not the same. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy comes from the Lord and cannot be taken. And there's nothing wrong with happiness. I think that we all want to experience happiness. Don't get me wrong, right? But if our happiness is based on our circumstances, my question is, what happens when someone takes your toy? What happens when the party is over? What happens when someone you love gets sick or even worse, passes away? What happens when your finances get so tight that you can't breathe? I think that we've probably all experienced and we've definitely seen in others that what happens way too often is happiness flees and is replaced by despair and fear and anxiety. And Paul is saying, your life is not marked by circumstances. Remember, he's writing this from prison, but he had horrible circumstances. He was put in prison multiple times. He was shipwrecked multiple times. I think I would have stopped riding a ship after the first one. He was shipwrecked multiple times. He was bitten by a snake. He was stoned, and I don't mean recreationally. I mean, he was beaten on multiple occasions. He had horrible circumstances. And yet, it's him who says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And something that we can learn looking at Paul's life and Paul's ministry is this amazing truth. And it is that our inner attitudes do not have to reflect our outward circumstances. Our inner attitudes do not have to reflect our outward circumstances. And friends, we need to understand that joy is not something that the rest of the world has. Joy comes from the Lord. So the unsaved, lost world does not know what joy feels like. They understand what happiness feels like, but not joy. If there's somebody in this room today, and I'm sure there is, who has never taken that step of faith, I would love for you to experience what true joy feels like. And our lives should look different than the rest of the world because he goes on and he says, let your reasonableness Some translations might use the word gentleness, but let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And he says, and the reason why is because the Lord is at hand. And so when the lost world looks at those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, there should be a gentleness about us that manifests itself to the rest of the world. 
that they should look at us and say, something's different about that guy. Something's different about that girl. I don't know what it is, but I want to find out what it is. And he says that you should have that gentleness about you because the Lord is at hand. And there's a couple of ways to think about the Lord is at hand. First of all, our Lord is present. Anybody who calls themselves a follower of Christ, who's put their faith and hope and trust in him, is promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. It can't get any closer than in you. He is with us all the time, 24-7, 365. He is with us. But man, he is so present. Our God is present and he cares. He cares about what you're going through right now. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Our God cares about your day-to-day mundane life and the things that cause you stress. He cares. And I think one of the prettiest examples of this found in scripture is when Jesus goes to raise his best friend Lazarus from the from the grave. It's always fascinated me. You see in that moment how present he is. He goes and he meets Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. And he was best friends with these people. He would often stay with them when he was on the road doing ministry. Lazarus was in the tomb and Jesus arrives on the scene and he sees all the people and his dear friends weeping. And what does it say Jesus does? The the shortest verse in scripture, the verse that you wanted to get as a kid in Sunday school, because you could remember it, it says, Jesus wept. And I've always wondered, why would Jesus weep if he knew that he was getting ready to call Lazarus from the grave? And I believe it's because he's so present, so in the moment, and he cares for us. But the second way to look at the Lord is at hand is literally we have Jesus' promise that he is coming back. And so regardless of what you're going through here, this is temporal. This is not our permanent home for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. And so regardless, if you live five years or 105 years, it's like a blink of an eye compared to eternity. And so regardless of what you're going through, you keep heaven in mind and you focus on the eternal knowing He could come back at any moment. And if he doesn't during our lifetime, that we're going to be in eternity with him in heaven. And the result of that is there should be a gentleness that comes through us. Paul goes on and he says, the next statement to me seems completely crazy at the surface. He says, do not be anxious about anything. If you were just reading that for the first time and Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, you'd be like, okay, Paul, I think you've lost your mind. Your cheese has slipped off your cracker. If you knew my life, Paul, you wouldn't be saying, don't be anxious about anything. And and I kind of chuckle at like Paul saying, well, tell me about your life. Let's compare. Have you been shipwrecked? No. You've been bitten by a snake? No. You've been beaten, imprisoned? No. Right, so I'm telling you, don't be anxious about anything. And by the way, this is not a suggestion. This is a command that Paul is giving us. It's a command. He says, don't be anxious about anything. But here's the cool thing about Paul. He doesn't just give us that command and then go about his way saying, good luck to you about not being anxious. I tell it to people all the time and I love giving relationship advice to people. Lee and I have been married 23 years next, next uh, week. And so 
I love giving relationship advice to young couples like Fish and Caroline, right? They're newlyweds, a couple weeks. So I love giving relationship advice and be like, listen, there are times when your girl is just going to be like in a bad mood. She's going to be frustrated, mad. My advice to you is just to walk up to Caroline and be like, hey, girl, just stop being mad. They love it. They love it when you do that. Don't do that. That would be terrible relationship advice. And it would be terrible advice from Paul if he just said, don't be anxious about anything and went on his way. No, he tells us what to do. He says, rather, in everything, by prayer and supplication, supplication's big churchy word, it means to ask. In some cases, it means to beg through prayer and asking and begging with thanksgiving. And can I tell you something? We always have something to be thankful for. We always have something to be thankful for when we think about the cross of Christ. He says, let your request be made known to God. Now, earlier, Paul told us, let your gentleness be evident to everybody. Now he says, take your anxiety to God. And there's a huge difference in these two. We have to know where to channel our anxiety. We don't take it to the world, who at best can tell us how to manage, cope, and live with it. No, we take it to God, who's big enough and can intervene in our midst. And what happens is an amazing transformation, where it begins to manifest itself in a gentleness to those around us. And I believe that we see this time and time again from David in the Psalms, You'll see David going to God, crying out in supplication, begging God to intervene in his life. And all of a sudden, you see a shift happen where David goes from taking his anxieties to God to where that shift, that peace that surpasses all understanding comes upon him. And all of a sudden, he starts telling his anxieties about how big his God is. And so we need to take it to the right place. It's not the people but rather to God. And then a shift will begin to happen. And we will receive a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's an amazing promise. I can tell you that there are some in this room, you've experienced this peace of God that surpasses all understanding. There are people going through things at this church right now that the only way that they could possibly have peace is they know it's from God and it surpasses any human understanding. I've had moments in my life going through different trials where there was a peace that I said, that's unexplainable, but I know where it comes from. And I can promise you in pastoral ministry, we travel with people through some of the darkest moments in life and we experience firsthand there is a peace about these people that makes no sense other than the fact it's from God. That's his promise to us, the peace of God. The peace of God. Now, here's an interesting uh, fact. These two verses, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, are the two most highlighted verses in the entire Bible. You know, a lot of Bibles now are electronic, and so they can track everything. If you typed in Google right now, what are the most highlighted verses in Scripture? Philippians 4, 6, and 7 would pop up, which if you think about it, kind of makes sense. 
if anxiety is the number one mental health issue in America right now, it would make sense that Philippians 4, 6, and 7 would be the most Googled verses. We're going and looking at what Scripture has to say, but there also at the same time seems to be a disconnect. If it's the number one Googled verse, we know where to turn, then why is anxiety continually on the rise? It's almost as if we're not living out what we believe. And there's this disconnect. And it's causing devastating health issues all over our country. So much so that the American Heart Association says this, which I think just parallels um, the scripture. American Heart Association says this, examine your values and live by them. The more your actions reflect your beliefs, the better you'll feel. I love asking people all the time a, a redundant question. It repeats itself. I said, do you believe what you believe is really real? Do you believe what you believe is really real? So yeah, I do. Then live like it. Then live like it. If you trust Jesus with your eternity, trust him in your day to day. Trust him to intervene and take away your anxiety. And so American Heart Association, examine them, live by them. And the more you do, the healthier you'll be. And Paul says that we have an amazing promise, the peace of God. Please hear me this morning. The peace of God's amazing. But it is impossible to experience the peace of God unless you are first at peace with God. Peace with God happens the moment of salvation. When you recognize who God is, you recognize his position is holy. And holy literally means to be set apart. And you recognize who you are and who I am and we are broken, sinful people. And there's a problem with that, friends, because brokenness cannot be in the same place as holiness. And so there is a chasm between us that we could never cross on our own. But he loves us so much that he did something about it. He sent his perfect son to this earth. Jesus left his perfection in heaven and he moved into the neighborhood and he came and he lived a perfect life here on earth. And then he took that perfect life and he gave it for us, for you and for me on a cross. And he did for us on a cross what we could never do for ourselves. He became the perfect and the permanent sacrifice for our sins. Theologians call it the great exchange when Jesus took his perfection and he exchanged it for our brokenness. And on the cross, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, that was the moment that was the moment, the first time in eternity that God turned his back on his son so that he would never have to turn his back on us. Jesus died on the cross. They put him in a tomb. But on the third day, he rose in glory from death. And he walked out of that tomb, proven in that moment he is who he says he is and he can do all he said he would do. And if you've never put your faith and trust and hope in, in that, in the resurrection of Jesus, the life-saving power of Jesus, today could be the greatest day of your life. And the moment you do that, you are at peace with God. And from 
that moment forward, the rest of your life, we have the promise that we can experience the peace of God. But you cannot experience the peace of God until you're at peace with God. And then Paul wraps it up and he, he gives us very practical things to do. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, Paul says, and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I love this practical list that Paul gives. I've used this scripture so many times when my girls were teenagers navigating through the difficult teenage years and all the complexities that come with that. I would say, think on these things and counseling with people when they're crippled by anxiety and fear. Think on these things when I need to speak to myself because I can feel my mind being divided by legitimate and destructive thoughts and they're at war with each other. I remind myself, Tommy, think on these things. Paul's saying, stop and redirect. Redirect your focus. And when I look at this list, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, you know what I think of? Those are all amazing, beautiful attributes of God. Truth. We should be people of truth. Who is true? Jesus. He said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus standing on trial, he was asked, why have you come? He said to testify to the truth himself. And so we think about Jesus. Counsel with a lot of people. This one here is a big one whatever is pure. If you're a Christ follower, our lives should be marked by purity. Way too often people get in these relationships and it gets all messed up and it's not pure. It's not the design that God has for our relationships. And they're like, why can't I experience peace? Why do I feel so much stress? But God calls us to live pure lives and you do it in the way that he created it to be done. And so for some, maybe you, today is the day you hit pause and you take a step back and you re-examine how it is that you're living your life. But in all this, he's saying that we need to stop and refocus our attention to Jesus, to our heavenly father. And it's the same thing that Jesus said in Matthew six, Jesus tells us, do not be worried about anything, anything, anything. Well, what's the answer, Jesus? He says, instead of being worried, seek first my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom. That's what Paul's saying. Stop, refocus, and look to God. And he's the one that will give us ultimate peace and ultimate rest. Many of you know who um, Corey Ten Boom is. Powerful, powerful story. Corey was a teenage girl during the uh, Holocaust during World War II. Her entire family was captured and thrown into concentration camps. Sadly, her entire family was killed at the concentration camps by the Nazis. The Corey story is an amazing story of freedom, of restoration, of forgiveness. And she puts it this way, couldn't say it any better. She says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look to God, you will be at rest. And that's exactly what Paul is saying 
in these verses. Stop and refocus and look to Jesus. And I love the word he used. He says, practice these things. Practice these things. If, if you grew up playing sports like me or instruments or, or anything that requires skill, you know all about practice and you understand why you practice. You practice to get better and you keep practicing. And you put it into practice when you feel those thoughts dividing your mind. For some in this room, that means you need to stop and put into practice and refocus every single day. For others in this room, that means you need to stop and refocus and put this into practice moment by moment by moment throughout the day. And you refocus and you put your attention on Jesus because he has a peace that the world does not have. He said it himself. Jesus says, peace I leave with you my peace I give you. Jesus says, the peace you're gonna get comes from me and it is not as the world gives. So let not your hearts be troubled. And if you take anything away from today, I want it to be this, that true peace is found in Christ alone. True peace is found in Christ alone. I, again, I know there are people who need medical attention and I understand that. Grateful we live in that time but it does not change this truth right here. And so maybe it's for a season, but you keep focusing on God. Keep turning to Him. Refocus. Maybe today you said, man, I didn't think living a life without anxiety is possible. Well, I just encourage you, whatever you came in here with carrying and it's weighing you down, the whole point of this series is to help us travel light. So during this closing song, this altar is open. We've got pastoral staff throughout this room. If you need somebody, you grab somebody, but this altar is open to you. I'm gonna be in the VIP room. I would love to have a conversation with you. Maybe today needs to be the greatest day of your life ever, where you step from death to life. And you say, I know I've never experienced the peace of God because I haven't been at peace with him. And I wanna change that today. And today is the day you make that step of faith. We would love to have that conversation with you. But Jesus, we love you. And God, we are so grateful that while the world has so much to say about how we can manage, cope, and live with our anxiety, God, you have something totally different to offer. You have true peace that the world does not have. And so God, I just pray that today is a day that people have the boldness to take that step of faith, to speak to somebody, to, to call you Lord and give their life to you. God, I pray that you'll move in these next few moments as only you can. I thank you in advance for what you're gonna do. We love you, Jesus.